This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Yes, it's uh, not Linda once again. Brian Callahan with you on Friday afternoon here on News Talk. And um, that's exactly what we do. We talk about the news, but we also welcome phone calls. And we've had a uh, uh, good uptick in phone calls this week on various uh, news stories that have been percolating and circulating uh, as the cycle is so much faster these days. And, um, you know, news talk is news talk. We like to try to break in on the most uh, current news because that's our opportunity here with a live program, just like open line in the morning. But um Right off the top there, just want to get this one out there again. You heard Noah Shepard mention in the newscast that the RNC is warning the public of scam going around. There's not enough of them these days, of course, involving the use of law enforcement credentials. So the scheme involves a letter being sent to, uh, you get a letter, and probably in the mail or I believe it could be email, but the logos of various law enforcements are going to show up on these uh, on these various correspondence. And... Uh, you can usually tell there are little things. Sometimes it's as simple as a misspelling. But um, again, it's a scam. And so everything from the RNC, the RCMP, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre um, is saying that uh, the it, you know it could be look as genuine as you might think. Inspector in charge of crime. That would be a tip off there for me. But in any event, another scam to be uh, watching for. I'll tell you, they'll take whatever you got if you let them. Um, but, uh, you know, always consult. If you don't feel like you're that uh, savvy when it comes to this stuff, ask somebody. Sometimes, like I said, it's as simple as a misspelling or uh, in an email. But um, there are little telltale signs. And a lot of workplaces these days have, uh, you know, anti-fraud and security um, uh, program, uh, education programs, updates and that sort of thing that they circulate throughout the employees to keep them up to date on the latest uh, fraudulent scams so they don't infect your actual company's, um, you know, hardware and software and uh, all of your protected information. So keep an eye out for that one now on top of all of the other ones. And uh, going to stay with the courts for a moment. Just a short time ago, um, the uh, sentencing hearing for Joshua Burt, 25-year-old Joshua Burt, concluded in provincial court here in St. John's down in Atlantic Place. Again, full uh, full courtroom for this, of course. This is the impaired driving causing death uh, of Brad Caravan on April the 3rd of 2022 of last year. Happened on Pitts Memorial Drive, just west of Ruth Avenue. Uh, it was a head-on collision, and Mr. Burke, 25, was convicted this week, actually. He had pleaded guilty, but uh, the formal conviction came yesterday. Um, when he formally entered the plea, there was a, st- a joint uh, recommendation put forth um, by the Crown and the Defense today, and they are seeking between them. So this is an agreed uh, joint um, submission on sentence or a recommendation that suggests three months, sorry, three years and three months in prison. And what happens in these cases is uh, both sides will uh, dig down and pull out other cases that, uh, you know, the court can consider when sentencing in this in uh, in a case like this. And of late, um, you know, I've noted and I've covered several just in the past few months of impaired driving causing death. Uh, We don't call them accidents. Certainly the victims don't call them accidents. But these crashes, and uh, they've always hovered around the four to five uh, year sentence. 
A couple of those had aggravating factors, which is what the court looks at, aggravating and mitigating. Aggravating being the things that can make it worse for the accused, and such as previous criminal record of similar pattern of behavior, or mitigating factors, which can improve his chance of getting a lighter sentence. All kinds of things consider in this case. Mr. Burt did plead guilty at his first real opportunity once all the facts were in, uh, sparing, you know, a trial for the family and relatives of Brad Caravan. Um, other issues, though, that came up today. So uh, Mr. Burt is convicted, and so as the court acknowledged today, he will do um, at least several years um, when Judge James Walsh brings down the actual sentence on February the 28th of next year. But interestingly enough, uh, until then, um, and I won't say it's rare, but it, uh, it is unusual a little when you know the person is going to prison, that the, um, the court will allow that person to stay free on conditions until their sentencing. And in this case, the judge today said he will allow Mr. Burt to remain free. Uh, now, Mr. Burt, since the incident, since being charged, uh, has been free and has not breached conditions that we know. I mean, he not, has not been uh, brought before the court breaching any of those conditions. He abided by them all up until now, and that's really what the court looks at. Very important track record there. But also, the judge went out of his way to say not only that, but he also c took into consideration and openly opined about the conditions down at HMP and suggesting, you know, Mr. Burt probably shouldn't have to stay there any longer than he should. What does that say about HMP? I mean, uh, this is continually coming up in judges' decisions in the courts, by the way, openly referencing HMP, and not only that, giving extra time on top of extra time. Because when you serve time at HMP while awaiting trial without being convicted, you're still just the accused, um, you're given a day and a half of credit for every day that you spend down at, uh, in any incarceration until um, you've been either acquitted or convicted. So while you're awaiting, they give you that extra half day because technically, in the eyes of the, of the law, you are still innocent until proven guilty. In this case, Mr. Burt is guilty. He was convicted yesterday, and he's pleaded guilty, and he is going to prison, but the judge uh, just said, you know, um, he, he used the conditions of HMP as one of the reasons why he's going to allow him to stay free until February the 28th, when he will be sentenced to prison. Um, we just don't know how long that will be yet. And one other interesting note on that that came out today that I wasn't aware of and had never really been mentioned before. Uh, in cases like this, all of the facts are put before the court so that the judge can have the most informed decision as possible when sentencing. And it was noted today that um, until today, Mr. Burt's driving privileges had not been removed. He was still legally permitted to drive, you know, since the crash and, uh, and since pleading guilty. I uh, noted today, and so the judge said, do you have driving privileges? And he said, yes. He said, well, you don't anymore as of today now that the conviction has been entered. So uh, that's an interesting thing there. I wasn't in the courtroom personally. I had to join by teleconference because I have a show to host. But uh, I was on the teleconference to hear uh, all of the goings on, but I wasn't in the courtroom to feel what I can imagine has been very palpable and difficult circumstances and a lot of emotion in that courtroom on both sides of the, of the, uh, of the aisle. So uh, on that note, uh, we're going to move on to a uh, break here. That's uh, the latest breaking news in the news. We have a lot of other things to go uh, that we'll discuss coming up after the break, not the least of which is our very own VOCM. And let's face it, who doesn't like a good 50-50 draw? Hey, Claudette. 
So uh, after the break, we'll have Sonia Smith in studio live just to make sure everybody is aware of this chance for a nice chunk of cash just before Christmas. So uh, we'll take that break and uh, be right back after the break. It's uh, Brian Callahan on News Talk. Right back. Celebrating the new year. You're listening to the New Year's Eve Irish Newfoundland Show with Greg Smith. Welcome back to the program. And as promised, um, let's talk a little VOCM Cares Foundation because the good things that the foundation does for this community is off the charts. I knew it long before I came to VOCM, but I've, uh, it's more palpable and tangible when you're actually in the building. And I have the one and only executive director of the VOCM Cares Foundation in studio with me right now, Sonia Smith. Hi. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm good. It's Friday afternoon, you know. Not that Fridays are necessarily the end of the week for any of us these days, because no, exactly busy times, uh, to say the least, and especially for the Cares Foundation at this point uh, in the, the year. You're busy flat out all year round doing good things for community. But um, And we're going to talk about, let's just go right to it. There's a big 50-50 draw. I've been immersed in the business all day and all week, and I hear peripherally 50-50. I don't even think, I'm, a, I'm not allowed, am I? VOC employees are allowed to, are we allowed to buy tickets? VOCM Cares Foundation staff and board members are not allowed to buy tickets. Oh, so technically I could buy a ticket. You could. Okay. I don't know how it would look <laughs> if we won. Uh, yeah, fix exactly. was in, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I'm only kidding. <laughs> anyway, tell me all about it, Sonia. How can you get your tickets? What's the cause? And uh, how are we doing with the numbers? Well, Brian, this is our very first 50 50 uh, that we're running like this. And it's an online program that we're doing. Uh, Right now, the jackpot is over $36,000. And so that's 50-50. That's 50-50, 50% for the winner and 50% for VOCM Cares to put back in the community. Right. So what we do here at VOCM Cares is we support local charities uh, throughout the province. So programs like uh, school food programs, the food banks, seniors programs, different programs throughout the year, we support. And this money is going to allow us to do even more. So we're thrilled with the outcome. Um, did you have a target set? And, and is it like where it is now, is it where you thought it might be? Is it way behind your wild expectations? Or well, how would you just... It's, it's doing a little bit better than what we thought it would be. Okay. Uh, I guess when we put the budget together, we were a little bit conservative, but uh, at, because this is our first one. Right. But there's lots of room to grow. Right. So tomorrow night, 11.59 is the last time that you can buy a ticket online. And between now and then, let's see how high this is going to get. Yeah, it's fun. It's like the old JCA stuff. Let's see how yeah. high we can push it. And exactly. sorry, just tell me again uh, how, how much tickets are and how many you can buy in a bunch or if there's a limit or what. Sure. Tickets, uh, they cost one for $10, three for 20 and uh, 10 for 50 you can buy the tickets online at vocmcares.com. And as I say, tomorrow, last day, right up until 11.59 p.m. And so 36 to 18,000 each so far. You said you didn't have a target, but where would you like to see this uh, go? <laughs> That's a loaded question, isn't it? Oh, gosh, Brian, as far as we can go would be absolutely wonderful. But we understand and we really appreciate the generosity of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians who are supporting this. So you know what? Whatever we get at the end of the night tomorrow night is going to be appreciated and it's going to be used. The good thing is December 19th is the draw date. Right. So we'll be drawing at 8.30 on the morning show with Ben and Jerry Lynn. Thank you for answering my next question. And... After the ticket is drawn, the winner will be notified 
and we'll be cutting the check right away. Wow. So the winner can pick the check up Thursday afternoon. So it's not like your bank and you got to wait. There's a hold on it or something first. No. <laughs> right, right when you don't want there to be a hold on it. <laughs> exactly. So the winner can pick up the check, go to their bank, and... Uh, they can do that last minute of Christmas shopping if they want. Yeah, I can't help but think um, I lost my train of thought. There was something you jarred my memory there then. <laughs> Merry was Christmas to me. Something about, yeah. <laughs> Are you into it, uh, Claudette? Do you have your tickets? Because I, I didn't know I could buy any I personally. I like you. I'd be worried about the optics yeah, if absolutely. I were to win. <laughs> But I certainly encourage everybody to go out and buy. That is life-changing, especially this time of the year. And, and the cost of living, every amount counts in terms of, you know, any extra that we can put it in our own bank account would be great. But most importantly, um, VOCM Cares, as Sonia had mentioned, um, are going to be helping out so many charities with just half. Yep. So that's very important to keep in mind. It's so great. You know, you think of it as, uh, I almost, when you mentioned that it goes right back into, it's almost like a gift card for a company because you have your gift cards. Walmart will give you a gift card. Let's say you get a, a gift card from Walmart. You're going to go back there. You have to go back there and right. spend that money there. But it goes back in Walmart. This is on a nicer level because it's so charitable. And so no matter whatever everybody puts in, it's going to the foundation. Exactly. The best cause you can probably think of. And of all of those, what are some of just, I'll give you one more chance and I'll let you go. Uh, some of the specific organizations at the foundation. Well, last year we had over a million dollars in requests for funding. We could only, we could only grant a small portion of that. So we granted $120,000, plus, through our radio bingo, we um, gave the Lions Clubs. Now, you say you could only grant. That's the limitation of our law. Yes, exactly, for the budget. So this will allow us to to do a little bit more. Gotcha. The Lions Clubs, we gave them, um, for their partnership, over $200,000 last year. And, of course, that goes right back into the the community as well. You're welcome, Lions Clubs. Absolutely. (laughs) And I know they say Now, they're our partner with radio. Bingo, so they do a lot of work for Not to for say that. they're not appreciative because they sing it from the mountains when we absolutely, help them. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So what this is going to do for us is allow us to grant even more things. So yep. things like Kids Eat Smart, Boys and Girls Clubs. Uh, we just granted uh, money for a se- an active seniors program out in the town of Robert's Arm and that area. Yep. So we're all over the province and we're doing more and more and we're getting more and more requests for support. Yep. All I can say is that like the donations when you think about it if you happen to win it's gravy but the fact that you know exactly where all that money is going absolutely and it's almost oh and there might be a chance i'll win that money too i could see some people i know there's a lottery i noticed somewhere in the united states the other day who where they wanted they gave at least half of it back to their favorite charity or all and sometimes they just give it all you know bequeath the whole thing Sonia Smith, thanks so much for all the work you're doing, uh, especially well. with the 50-50. You must be up to it, especially with only, what, less than, so it's 24 and 7, so about uh, 31 hours left to buy your 50-50 tickets. And it's only online, correct? Only online, vocmcares.com. Right on. Okay, thanks so much. Thank Good you, luck. Brian. Look you take forward. care. Thank you very much. Sonia Smith, Executive Director of the VOCM Cares Foundation. That is, I can't think of better causes, better work, yeoman work. I tell you, it's not easy, but it's really, really rewarding and gratifying. And thank you to everyone who supported the 50-50 draw so far. And go right to the website now, folks. Just have a look. It's 10 bucks for a ticket. $10 could be uh, 18 grand or more on Monday morning when they draw. Tuesday. Tuesday morning. Sorry. I'm dry. Yeah, great. I'm off Monday anyway, so I don't care. I'll be doing it on Tuesday. All right. Uh, so moving on from the 50-50 draw to another lovely, pleasant 
um, uh, charitable and giving back moment today. I was down the Avalon Mall earlier this afternoon where um, the RNC, in conjunction with the schools, has a program called uh, Shop with a Cop. And I don't know if you've heard about this. I was kind of new to me. Apparently, they've been doing it for a few years, but it might have just went over my head with the busyness of the season in past years. But this is a situation where... Um, uh, where different schools around the city have been donating and uh, to food banks and kids are doing different things in their own personal charitable time. And out of all of that, uh, three kids were chosen and they were all notified recently while uh, their parents were in at uh, parent-teacher night. And they were notified after that they were the winners of this shop with a cop. And they get a, a little shopping spree at the Avalon Mall with the police. Um, don't have to be right by their side, but they get to do a little shopping spree at the mall. And they get lunch at the rec room, which, they ha which happened today. The three winners this year, um, Mia Moore. I hope it's Mia, not Maya. I'm pretty sure it's Mia. Oh, it could be Maya. I can't remember now. It was kind of loud at the rec room today. Charlotte Cook and Robert Dempster. And I'm, and I'm really sorry, Mia Maya, if I messed that up. Um, they're all from McDonald Drive Junior High. And, of course, Sergeant Julie Cunningham uh, was one of the officers that was all over this today with the kids down at the rec room. And I had a chat with her about what it's all about. Julie, tell me just what is Shop with a Cop? Uh, so I'm here today with the RNC's Community Services and Shop with a Shop with the Cup is an initiative that we do with junior high students around Christmas time. Due to the generosity of the Avalon Mall, three students get to attend the Avalon Mall and shop for themselves and their families as well to spread some uh, Christmas cheer. It's meant to foster the relationships between law enforcement officers and the youth. Uh, we'll also spend some time together enjoying a lunch together and playing games at the rec room. And we've been doing this here for a number of years in Newfoundland, but it's not an initiative that's unique to Newfoundland. It happens throughout Canada and the U.S. and has roots as far back as 2000 in Minnesota. So it's a lovely program just meant to foster those positive relationships. Great. And, uh, so it was adopted here. How many years here locally happening here? Uh, I'm not sure the exact number of years. However, I've been on three. Well, at least since Minnesota. <laughs> exactly. I've been on. I've been fortunate enough to come here three times myself. Oh, okay. And so, what does the event do for the kids? Like, uh, so they they just shop around. Is there an amount that they get to spend and all that kind of stuff? Yes, the Avalon Mall gives them each a, a certain amount to spend uh, for their Can you families reveal that or amount? for themselves. Uh, I prefer not to. However, it's it's quite generous, I will say. And they also provide a, a gift card for us to uh, enjoy lunch at the rec room and play games with the youth as well. So it's uh, and we've also had the opportunity to have a photo with Santa as well. Okay, that's the cherry on top. Um, what did the kids have to do to, like, what did they do to win? Like, what, what was their, what did they have to do to be the ones chosen? So the spirit of the program, of course, is to share Christmas spirit and to help other people. So in order to uh, earn the opportunity to come on Shop with the Cop, we asked that the school hold a food bank donation. So the school can choose to either put that food into a local food bank or to help families within their own school community. So these children would have brought in donations to help others in their community. And we like to reward that behavior by spending a day shopping with the, uh, with the RNC. And of course, that's through the generosity of the Avalon Mall. And that is Sergeant uh, Julie Cunningham with the RNC, who uh, was down there today with uh, the kids at the rec room for the Shop with the Cop winners, the three winners. And I'm going to go with Mia. Mia Moore um, 
Charlotte Cook and Robert Dempster from McDonald Drive Junior High, and I'll get a call if I'm wrong. Uh, that's for sure. And you know, fun fact, Claudette, I found out this today. We were always told, you know, we we're supposed to. Uh, uh, at least I always thought the word "cop" was slang. Growing up, you know, didn't weren't you? Didn't you ever think that? I mean, we were told certainly not to use it as a journalist. Sorry, I was on the phone, so oh. I have no idea what you're talking about. I was just about. saying, you remember back, you know, were you okay. ever told or admonished or, or given a hard time for using the word cop when you referred to the police? Yeah, you know, see, you think of it as slang? I always thought of it as slang. Yeah, I mean, I, I use it now, but I don't, I don't mean it in a... A derogatory bad way or, yeah. and two everybody knows that like my family my dad's a, <laughs> I, a cop slash police officer yeah. my husband too yeah. but um i one of the words i you know there are words derogatory mm-hmm. words that i absolutely cringe yeah. when i hear them we go there right but, but, but cop to me it was always uh, maybe it was just as a journalist you weren't allowed to use it as a writer but interestingly enough shop with a cop they're okay yeah, it with works. it. Well, I asked Julie about it today, Julian Cunningham, Sergeant Cunningham, who we just heard. And I said, by the way, have I been a bad boy all these years using more cop? And apparently, it's always stood for citizens on patrol. That's yes, the origins I heard of it. That and so, on technically, but somewhere along the way, it became kind of a slang innuendo or. I don't know. I just think it's short. You know, it's a it's short. It's really an acronym. Yeah, like the fuzz. It's okay, well, isn't it? Fuzz. <laughs> Here come oh the fuzz. Lord. I the never fuzz? understood that one <laughs> at all. The fuzz. Here come the fuzz. That was uh, <laughs> what we used to yell on Count Avenue back in the day when we had to cross real quick or maybe we're throwing snowballs at the wrong things. Never use that. <laughs> Here come the fuzz. Anyway, on that lovely note, let's send it off to uh, Noah Shepard over there waiting patiently through all this ridiculous banter to deliver an important newscast. Um, Brian Callahan here on News Talk on your Friday afternoon. Coming back, still lots to come with the show. We'll be right back after the news. Make a request anytime by calling 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The soundtrack of your holiday joy. Your VOCM. Brian Callahan back with you on News Talk on this Friday afternoon. And now, as the uh, fine people with Monty Python used to say, Something completely different. And um, let's just change gears all together and talk skiing. And not just skiing, but uh, year-round events at uh, the one and only Marble Mountain on the west coast of the province. Gearing up for the winter season, but as we know, you know, with the changing climate and other issues, um, you know, it certainly helps to diversify and make yourself more than just... Uh, more than just a mountain, which is the slogan out at Marble. Um, so uh, some passes are going up and a little bit. Cost of everything is increasing these days. It'll cost slightly more to go on the hill, but, you know, it's all about supporting the hill. And uh, we all know that it can be a struggle. And it has been for some time, but boy, I tell you, they're making some go of it out at Marble, Marble, at Marble finding other ways to uh, make that hill valuable. But skiing is always where it's at. And just a short time ago, I had a grand chat with Richard Wells, the general manager out at Marble Mountain. So what's the latest? How are we looking for this season? And uh, not that I have a personal interest, but uh, how is everything shaping up? Really well. Uh, Well, right now we are currently waiting for cold temperatures and uh, significantly more snow to fall. Uh, but all of our infrastructure has been inspected and uh, thrilled to announce that the revival of the Black Mariah chairlift is uh, is happening this season. So uh, Black Mariah has been down for about five years. Uh, I've got a new cable put on it, uh, all new seat cushions, 
a lot of high-end electrical work has been done, uh, some shiv assemblies. So uh, happy to say that my Achilles heel has been fixed and, uh, you know, welcoming people back on the uh, east side of the mountain. That's going to cater to Country Road, Bonavista, Corkscrew, uh, some beginner-friendly terrain, if you would. So uh, some of our clientele were uh, not able to go across what has uh, been labeled the struggle, or we know it as the upalong. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people haven't been over on that side of the mountain in uh, in a couple of years now because that chair has been down. So this is a huge moment for us. We're very proud. Uh, the two other chairs, the Newfie Bullet and Lightning Express, are purring like kittens right now. And, uh, you know, outside of uh, the snowfall, uh, we are certainly ready to go. The snowmaking infrastructure is on place in higher terrain on the Lightning Express west side of the mountain. So, uh, fingers crossed, you know, whenever we are able to open, uh, we will be riding from the uh, very top of the mountain down, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you're in a really unique situation when you run a ski hill like this because you are completely at the mercy, really, of Mother Nature. Um, And so, I mean, you can make snow, but you need snow to make snow, right? Yeah, and snowmaking at sea level is an art and a science. Um, We struggle with it on a regular. Humidity levels are some of the biggest issues for us. Um, Weather patterns that, you know, bring high winds as well are often a struggle. So a lot of our system was developed back in the 80s and 90s when marble historically would get probably closer to 20 feet uh, and be able to open, uh, you know, a natural snowfall in, in November and early December. So, you know, we're certainly noticing the trends in the industry. And, uh, again, it's not an easy task uh, to snow make, but uh, we have our work cut out for us and are certainly ready to go. Well, um, uh, the perfect segue to that is uh, this goes right to the heart of the um, of the agenda of turning marble into, uh, you know, an all-year-round, all-season resort. Is, is it not? I mean, this is the backup plan, or I shouldn't say backup, but it's certainly in conjunction with the current plan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And and thank you for uh, segueing to that. You're right. We put almost uh, 2,000 people on our chairlift here over the summer. So uh, the fact that that had never happened for us was another very proud moment uh, over the summer for Marble Mountain. And, you know, we look forward to to getting it to that four-season level where, you know, we can bring uh, people up and down the mountain all all season long and, uh, you know, into the summer, of course. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're eager and we know that we have a great product here at Marble Mountain and, uh, you know, just really hoping that the snow uh, is in our corner this year so that we can uh, have a really memorable season and, and set us up for success. Yeah, those 2,000 people you had up the, um, up the hill uh, over the summer, just give me a little idea. What were they doing? What were they? I mean, obviously, you've got the mountain biking and other events, but, I, I, you know, you know better than to list them off than me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So we did summer scenic chairlift tours. Uh, We put in a a really nice viewing platform up top. There was a walking trail, um, a bathroom facility. We had about 25 or 40 picnic tables up there as well. Uh, So just the atmosphere up there. We had uh, live music up there several times as well. So, again, a lot of our clientele, uh, you know, while they're familiar with the winter product, you know, that maybe they've never seen it from a summer perspective. Mm. 
And even further to that, there's a, a lot of people who have never seen that view uh, of the iconic Bay of Islands looking from the top of Mount Musgrave there. I don't so, know what they're missing. Um, yeah, no kidding. And it was something that uh, everyone was able to do. You know, I think the youngest that we had, uh, I in fact had my uh, newborn son up there at, oh. uh, well, he's 11 months right now. So, you know, that would have been three or four months ago. Uh, and then the oldest, from my understanding, was 92 years old. So it was something that everyone could enjoy. I can't even, like, it's just, uh, this view is absolutely spectacular. Um, and you mentioned the Mariah opening up the east side of the hill. Yeah, I can, I, I have to say, that'll be great, too. I know I had my daughter there last year for her first time ever at Marble, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't really appreciate the fact that it wasn't available, Country Road and, uh, and down through Corkscrew and that sort of thing, but uh, we'll be looking forward to that this year. Um, Definitely. What, let's uh, talk more immediate future. What are the uh, big plans? I've seen so lots of posting around Christmas and New Year's Eve. What's, uh, what's the plan? Yeah, so Christmas, we've got a couple uh, events happening throughout uh, Bishop's Tavern and the Main Lodge. I've been doing a lot of uh, fun Christmas parties lately for corporate events and whatnot. Uh, moving into New Year's, we've got a really big event planned with uh, some live music happening here in the lodge. And, uh, you know, moving into early January, we are developing our events calendar. And uh, pretty much every weekend, we've got something on the books there. So uh, more than a mountain, basically. That's, uh, that's our slogan right now. And, uh, you know, while you can come here for great skiing and riding, uh, you know, the music, the food, uh, you know, the entertainment, the atmosphere is really what we bring to the table there and richard just go back for a second what um you know do you have a target date in mind like if people are planning and i know it's Ooh, all weathered oh, i wish i could i know uh, so i mean there was a time when I, yeah sorry I've been nicknamed snow jesus uh, <laughs> i wish that i uh, had that ability to know exactly when we were going to open but uh historically in the last couple years uh you know trends have been pushing us into the first and even into the second week of january so while i don't know and i am hopeful that a snowstorm will come my way tonight or tomorrow that would get us open uh, earlier than expected i do feel that we're going to be looking at the first week of january and what are you talking like any promotions or something you want to plug before i let you go no uh stay tuned to our social media and uh yeah just uh be know that we're we're more than a mountain and we're having a ton of fun so uh thanks for the support and my thanks again to Snow Jesus, otherwise known as uh, Richard Wells, the general manager out at Marble Mountain. Uh, I was out there when somebody called him that, so it's, it's legit. Um, we're going to shoot off to the break here now. Uh, thanks to Richard Wells again for that on short this afternoon. Uh, can't wait to get out there hopefully this winter. Um, short break, and then we're right back on News Talk. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. So earlier this year, the Auditor General released what they called a monitoring report on the outstanding, as in not done, uh, recommendations issued between 2014 and 2020 on personal care and long-term care facilities. So that report showed that there was a lot of recommendations that just had not been implemented. That's still raising a lot of concerns, especially throughout the House of Assembly members and amongst the Public Accounts Committee. And Clement Forsey is the chair of the Public Accounts Committee, and he had a chat earlier today with our own Brian Medora about why they feel this is necessary now. 
MHA Pleman Forsey Public Accounts Committee Chair, uh, just uh, run that whole thing, the scenario by me, uh, just kind of cap it for me. Uh, so the audits are like 10 years old for the nursing homes. Uh, some recommendations have been done, some not. Uh, just wrap that whole situation where it stands right now. Uh, first of all, uh, Brian, I would like to say that the uh, Public Accounts Committee, you know, we're in a committee committed to improving the public administration you know, in partnership with, with the Auditor General. And uh, the committee will follow up on audits conducted by the Auditor General, you know, to ensure that the accountability for, for the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. You know, and we question the entity's concern to confirm that the actions of the recommendations of the Auditor General certainly are being taken and, and to correct any deficiencies identified by the Auditor General. And in this uh, particular file, we... Uh, we were asked to, uh, uh, we've had, in this particular fall, we've asked the uh, Auditor General certainly to conduct, uh, to conduct uh, another audit in regards to the province's personal care and, and long-term care facilities. You know, and this comes from an audit conducted, uh, that was conducted and released by the Auditor General from 2015, you know, so that's, that's almost a decade, yes. And, you know, which has had some recommendations, you know, still not implemented, you know, so uh, all the members of the committee shared the shared the same concerns, you know, on the matters related to the personal care homes and long-term care homes, and uh, and considering you know the time has elapsed since since that audit, you know, from from which is still outstanding recommendations, uh, you know, the committee felt that the uh, there was another review warranted. Give me a highlight of a couple of the undone recommendations. Are we talking about fire life safety situations here? Uh, one, you know, you know, one of the recommendations in, in the 2015 review, you know, was a comprehensive review, you know, of the personal care homes operating standards and, and regional health authority monitoring methods. You know, every two years it was required for that, you know. So that's it's just one of the items right there. So the Auditor General will do another review. You know, we'll, be, we'll, uh, we'll take close attention, you know, back and forth with the Auditor General and get updates as, as she move along with whatever she feels uh, she needs to do in that in that uh, in that audit. Do you have to go that route? Does the accounts committee not have, say, the authority or or the AG the authority to uh, simply go back and demand that the situation be corrected or the recommendation implemented? Uh, well, you know, we work with the Auditor General, of course, and uh, sometimes we have discussions with, with the entities involved. You know, so they have to certain time periods to to provide their uh, recommendations, especially the actions in the recommendations. And we, re- re- we review those time to time, and, uh, you know, we look at the actions, see what, it, what has been taken, and uh, we'll question the uh, entities and, and make sure that those, uh, those actions are being taken. But if we feel that, uh, you know, it's taken too much time, you know, audits should have been done, uh, the recommendations should have been done, then we feel that the Auditor General may go back in and, uh, and do another audit. And which facilities, MHA Force, are we talking about? Are these just the Crown-owned uh, nursing homes, or are we talking about the, uh, you know, the privately run ones as well? Right now, it's anything affiliated with the, with the government agencies, you know. So we're uh, we're we're looking at uh, personal care homes and the uh, and the long-term care facilities, you know. So there was some some recommendations that are still not implemented in that. So we'd we'd like the uh, Auditor General certainly to take a uh, certainly take another uh, another look at that and uh, and provide some information. Now she has agreed to do another audit. Uh, what's your, your reaction? To, is is that exactly the reaction that you wished for? Yes, well, we did uh, ask the Auditor General to uh, 
to uh, do another review, and and she's accepted to do that. So so we're pleased with the uh, with the uh, rec- uh, with the results from the uh, w- you know with the uh, with the approval from the Auditor General to get uh, to do another review. So that's exactly what we wanted. So she'll be doing another audit. So we'll uh, you know we'll have uh, different discussions with the Auditor General and get updates on that review as uh, as they become available. MHA Forsey, in your role as MHA, not public accounts chair, but as MHA in central Newfoundland, I know you have a lot of concerns about uh, uncertainties with ownership and rights to crown land. That's been, uh, gee, a, a real bugaboo for not just years, but I think decades with no real long-term or permanent solutions there, and people still not quite sure if they own the land, if they don't own the land, can develop it, can't develop it. Uh, where does that situation stand, and uh, what are your thoughts on it? Well, Brian, of course, uh, we've been uh, discussing Crown Lands for quite a while, and we know that uh, you know it, it is decades old, You know, it's from one administration to the other. Uh, there was a review conducted in uh, 2015 by uh, by the uh, by the governing party at the time, which were the uh, PC PC party, and that was done in 2015. But it was never implemented on by the uh, current government. You know, in 2016 when they took over, or 2015, of course, when they took over, none of that was implemented. And uh, we've been asking for reviews of Crown Lands. Now uh, they did do a review again in uh, January of last year. Uh, there was a couple of uh, couple of options on the table. I think one was uh, changing the date uh, from 20 years down to 10. Uh, quit claims was another another item on the agenda and a time period to have all this done. But uh, it hasn't been. Uh, it, it, nothing has come to legislation yet, Brian. Uh, we were sort of hoping that this fall there would be some legislation brought forward to do, at least get the dis- discussion started on crown lands. You know, because what we find is that people, especially uh, older citizens, senior citizens, right now, trying to sell their uh, trying to sell their homes, and when they go to sell their homes, they, they find that the uh, you know the uh, the property that they owned is. Uh, uh, you know they can't they can't get the title to uh, to sell the pro- sell the uh, property because the they don't have the title to their land, and uh, a lot of those seniors you know just want to downgrade. Uh, you know they've occupied their homes for years, they've uh, kept you know up, the upkeep of upkeep of those homes and properties, and uh, you know they just want to downsize right now to to get into uh, smaller facilities and probably uh, some uh, you know uh, home home agencies or or some. Uh, Seniors, seniors' cottages and that sort of stuff, and uh, and that's what they rely on to, you know, to to get into to get into those uh, areas. And uh, so we needed a, we needed legislation from for Crown Lands, you know, to be brought in, but we're not seeing any any legislation. Again, in the spring, we brought in a PMR. Uh, you know, with uh, uh, with uh, with concerns of the, of those crown lands, uh, crown lands issues, of course, and we certainly thought that there might have been some legislation come forth, but uh, as of right now, uh, Brian, there's no legislation coming forth. So, uh, I guess hopefully this spring, I guess we'll look for some legislation because some of the some of the changes has to be made has to be made to crown lands. And that is um, the chair of the Public Accounts Committee, Pleeman Forsey, of course, Tory member for Central Newfoundland as well. Speaking with our own Brian Medore there about the Public Accounts Committee going back in looking for an audit, uh, you know, I guess a, a follow-up to find out how much of the um, recommendations from the uh, performance audit on personal care and long-term care facilities 
uh, why and how and which ones, the recommendations that yet so many have yet to be implemented. So looking for another audit on a follow-up of that. So my thanks to Brian Medor for that. We'll be following up on all of these stories, of course, uh, next week once we get through the weekend. Um, but just before we go, there was also an event this morning where the province in Ottawa announced almost $14 million for National Gender-Based Violence Action Plan. Can't have enough money, really, to stem that and knock it out of the park. Uh, the provincial and federal governments, um, together on this today, they made the announcement out at the Manuals River Interpretation Centre this morning. Uh, among the people, you know, Pam Parsons, the local minister for gen, uh, women, gender equality, as well as the federal MP, uh, Lisa Hepner, who was here in town for that as well. And she couldn't say enough about her visit, let alone the actual topic, but also her visit to Newfoundland. I can't tell you what an extraordinary honor it is to visit you here in your beautiful riding. My breath has been taken away several times already today just seeing this extraordinary community. So thank you for welcoming me. What an extraordinary. I'm very grateful. However short a time I am here, it's absolutely um, been well worth it. And I'll have to come back when I have more time. And I'm really excited to, to be here for what this announcement means for this community. When we see that 11 million people in Canada have experienced intimate partner violence at least once after the age of 15, we know that we have to take action. And when we talk about action, we mean that we have to recognize that gender-based violence is not just always physical harm. It also includes a heavy emotional, financial, and mental toll. And survivors carry these with them for the rest of their lives in many cases. And action also means supporting people who are on the front lines, including, I think, a lot of people in this room today. People who go to work every day to protect people fleeing violence, many of whom are survivors themselves. And another reason I'm so grateful to have Ken here today is that part of this action is bringing men and boys into this conversation. Gender-based violence is not a women's issue. We can't do this alone, and if we want to break the intergenerational cycle of violence, we need men and boys in this conversation as well. This type of work needs everyone on board, and it's so important that we have the province of Newfoundland and Labrador here stepping up with us, proposing solutions at the table, working to tackle this issue. And that brings us to today's announcement. I am thrilled to be here today to announce a federal contribution of nearly $13.6 million over four years to the government of Newfoundland and Labrador to support the implementation of the National Action Plan to end gender-based violence. The implementation is guided by the plan's three federal priorities. Increasing prevention efforts, 25% of the investment must go towards prevention. Reaching underserved and at-risk populations and stabilizing the gender-based violence sector. And so that means the government of Newfoundland and Labrador will be able to strengthen existing programs or create new ones. Help vulnerable people get out of dangerous situations. And it includes supporting culturally relevant and indigenous-led healing, health, and wellness programs. And this is especially important in rural areas where finding help isn't always very easy.
The funding we're announcing today builds on the investments we've made to support crisis hotlines. And I'm proud to say we have signed deals with every single province and territory. And Pam, we were talking this morning how just a couple of months ago you were with Minister Ian um, here to announce our support for crisis hotlines. And so that was important, and I'm really glad our governments can come together for this next important step. And it's not just our governments working together. As I said, it takes all the people on the front lines and the organizations who are dedicated to this work. So I want to thank all of you. I think there's about 30 different organizations represented in this room. Your work is really important. It matters. You are saving lives. And I want to take this opportunity to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your work. I know it's difficult work, and you take it in your heart. But it's appreciated, and it's needed. And once again, thank you, Newfoundland and Labrador, for being wonderful hosts and welcoming us to your beautiful province. And once again, that is the federal MP, Lisa Hefner, who was visiting the province today, joining, um, uh, let's see, our own uh, Pam Parsons at an announcement today on the National Action Plan to End Gender-Based Violence. And that does it for News Talk for not just today, but for the week. As I say, drive safely, arrive alive, VOCM cares.